chapter 12. I'm sorry if this message is going to be a disappointment to many of you. Uh, contrary to what Jason announced for so many times coming up to this, uh, to this sermon, these three sermons that I'm going to preach, uh, George Lucas is not here tonight. Uh, he's not here. I didn't see him. Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, Princess Leia, none of them are here. None of them are here. There are no Ewoks and there are no Wookiees in the message tonight. But there is a fascinating cast of characters in this uh, chapter that we're reading. And there really is a Star Wars. There's a war that takes place in the farthest reaches of the universe. And I tell you, that is much more fascinating to me than anything you could ever see on TV or see in the movies. Now, I know that the uh, American culture has been mesmerized by uh, outer space ever since, you know, TV and the movies and all of those things where they've had all these shows, uh, uh, space shows and things like that. And I confess, I, you know, I used to really like those, still do to some degree. When I was uh, younger, I liked shows like, like uh, what was it, Star Trek? And I, and I suppose if it wasn't for some strange twist of fate, if that's what you want to call it, I might be at a Trekkie convention tonight instead of uh, <laughs> preaching this message. But, uh, you know, I liked all those shows. Lost in Space and Buck Rogers and all those kinds of things. Those are, those are good shows. But it's nothing like what we're reading here in the Bible. I mean, this is just an incredible story that we're studying here in chapter 12. And this is really one of the most difficult chapters of this book to outline because it's so broad in the scope of its teaching. Um, you go all the way back to the very beginning of time in this chapter, and then you leap all the way forward to the end of time in just a few verses. And with that sweeping scope mixed in with that, there's just this fantastic war that we really can't even imagine. And this is a war that's fought among spirit beings and with weapons that, that we know nothing about. They're weapons of such magnitude and power that we don't even know how to gauge them. And so it's just a really incredible story, an unseen war that takes place. Uh, part of that's going on right now, as a matter of fact, and, and then some is taking place in the future. But we can only just visualize this in our imagination and just think what it might be like. Uh, this cast of characters in the Bible is a very strange one, and uh, they, I promise you they're not going to be appearing at a theater near you anytime soon. But I do confess to you, I had difficulty trying to outline the material that we have in this chapter, just how to present it. So we're going to kind of skip around in these three messages and try to fit it all together and make, make sense for you. Because a change from one or two verses to another verse might include just really literally thousands of years. And so that's what makes it so difficult. But we're going to try to get a start with this. And this evening, uh, I think we may have on the screen that we're reading verses 3 through 17, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start with verse number 1, and we're going to read down to verse number 9, and then we'll catch the whole chapter in the three messages that I'll preach on this. So if you'd stand with me, please. We'll look in Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse number 1. Revelation 12, verse number 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth, 
And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you for all those who've come tonight to hear your word. And we do have such an incredible story before us. And if it weren't for your majesty, for your power, your might, we wouldn't be able to withstand what takes place here. And the devil would indeed conquer this whole world and there would be no hope for our souls. But we do thank you that Jesus Christ is King and Lord, King of all and Lord of lords and that he will be the ultimate victor in this war. And, Lord, you'll take us home to be with you forever. So, Lord, help us as we study your word tonight. And we give you the praise for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The first thing that we have to recognize about this chapter is that there is a mixture of the symbolic and the literal. Now, as you know, we take a literal interpretation of the book of Revelation. And wherever possible, we're going to interpret the book that way. But where there are places where it clearly tells us that there is a symbol, uh, then we are to interpret those things as symbols. John says there appeared a great wonder in heaven. And wonder, as I've told you before, comes from a word that means sign. And if you have a center reference column in your Bible, you might see that noted there, that the word actually means a sign. And a sign is a symbol of something else. It's not the real thing. And so when we uh, read uh, about a sign in heaven, this this woman uh, that is a sign, she's not literally a real woman. She's not literally clothed with the sun and has the moon under her feet and has a crown with 12 stars. Now what John sees here is a sign of something else. And there's something that we have to learn about that sign. Now since it's a symbol... That means that a lot of people have different interpretations what that symbol might be. And that's what we discussed in the previous two messages on verses 1 through 6. Who is this woman that's in the picture here? What is it a sign of? And we came to the conclusion that that stands for the nation of Israel. And the first six verses are about the struggle that Israel had to bring Christ into the world. Now, likewise, in verse number 3, we have another symbol. And there appeared another wonder, or a sign, in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. So that's likewise a symbol that stands for something else. Only here, we don't have any controversy about the identity of this red dragon because he's clearly identified for us in verse number 9. Now, if you look there, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. So Satan, then, is one of the characters in this great saga of warfare. And in fact, we know that Satan has been at war since the very beginning of time. He's been engaged in a cosmic struggle against God and his people. And it's Satan who stood there and tried to prevent the coming of Christ into the world. Now, this first part of the chapter 
is the history of how that Satan, since the Garden of Eden, has warred against man and warred against God and tried to prevent the salvation of mankind through the Redeemer that was promised. Now, what I want to do as an outline for these messages is to look at Satan. And we're going to use him. He's that great and terrible general of a massive army of evil angels that will go to war against God. Now, the title of the message is uh, sort of a double entendre. Uh, This is a battle that takes place in the heavenlies among the stars, but also it's a battle of the stars. I'm not talking about stars like you see on TV. I mean, this is not Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie or whatever her name is. They're not stars like that. We're not talking about dancing with the stars or anything like that. These are angelic beings, and the Scripture refers to them as stars. When God spoke to the miserable counselors of Job, he says in Job 38, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now the morning stars refers to the angels. And interestingly, Satan was among those morning stars. Originally, he was among those morning stars. So tonight, we're going to look at this outline through Satan. And that's appropriate because in the next chapters, we're going to have a look at the end times through the viewpoint of Satan. And specifically, we'll be talking about the career of the Antichrist. But I want to start with this this evening. Number one is the regalia of Satan. The regalia of Satan. What is it that qualifies him to be a leader in a cosmic conflict? And why, why are we talking about Satan instead of someone else? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this particular point because we studied Satan not long ago in the book of Ephesians. But as you know uh, from that study or from elsewhere, that Satan did not start out as an evil counterpart to God. Now you'll notice that I said evil counterpart and I didn't say equal counterpart. Those are two completely different things. Uh, Satan stands out against the purity and the goodness of God. He's the epitome of everything that's evil, but he is in no way the counterpart or an equal counterpart of God. And there are some people that are very confused about that. They believe that there are two equal gods, that you have one that's evil and you have one that's good, and really they're involved in a match struggle. And for God to win out, something really fortuitous must happen. They also believe that Satan has as much control as God. And the difference of whether, in whether you turn out to be good and righteous or to be evil and unrighteous is simply a decision that you make. And so you decide whether you're going to follow that uh, evil angel that sits on your left shoulder and whispers into your ear or you're going to follow the good angel that sits on the right side and he whispers into your ear. But in no sense... Can Satan ever be mentioned in the same sentence as God when we're talking about power and authority? Because God is the omnipotent. He is the creator of the entire universe and everything that's contained within. And Satan himself is one of God's creatures. So God holds his destiny and with a simple exhale of God's breath, he can obliterate Satan forever. But Satan didn't start out that way. He didn't start out as evil. God originally created him as an angel of light. And he was a star among the angels, a star for sure. And likely, he was the brightest and most brilliant of all the stars in heaven. 
He was clothed in brilliant array and brilliant regalia as one of God's chief angels. Now I want us to look then first at his acclaim. The word of God speaks of the acclaim of Satan. Now I'm going to change his name back to the original name for just a few minutes here because he wasn't always known as Satan. Now Satan is a word that means adversary. But Satan was actually given the name of Lucifer. And interestingly, that name means morning star, I mean son of the morning. And his name is given to us in Isaiah 14, verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? Now, that's the only time in the Scriptures, and you might want to circle that, underline it, make a note, whatever you do. That's the only time in the Scripture where you find the original name of Satan. Now, the NIV translates this particular verse, it translates his name as morning star. And that is a proper translation. But what the NIV actually does is omit the only reference that we have in the Bible to Satan's original name. Now, in the text, what it does is it substitutes the meaning of the name for the name itself. And so uh, that means that without a good old King James Version, most people wouldn't even realize what the real name of Satan is. And I might add this, by, uh, just by the way, have you, have you ever heard of somebody or known somebody named Lucifer? I mean, it's, it's, just like, it's just a name just like Judas and a name just like Jezebel. Nobody names their kids Lucifer and Jezebel and Judas. Some of them might be better named that, but we really don't name them that way. Now, when Satan was Lucifer then, he was given that name, and then God created him with rank and power. And in Ezekiel 28, we have more of a description of him and how God allowed him such great acclaim. Ezekiel 28 says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. So God gave Lucifer great acclaim of being the anointed cherub that covers. Now that seems to be an indication that Lucifer was the chief angel of all. He was a protector of the throne of God. Now I guess a good question would be, what was he protecting it from? I mean, who was he protecting it from? I, don't, I really don't know the answer to that question except that the name probably means, or the position means, that he was a guardian of God's holiness. Now, somehow, there was this potential for angels to sin. They could turn against God, and so Lucifer was the protector. So, in one sense, I think you could say that Lucifer was the original Judas. And that's because he was right next to God. He was close to him. God gave him great acclaim, but then he ended up turning against the Almighty. So, originally, Satan was perfect in his ways, and I think simply said there was no angel there was none of the stars among all the stars that was as great as this person named lucifer now next then we look at his appearance he was arrayed beautifully ezekiel also says son of man take a lamentation upon the king of tyrus and say unto him thus saith the lord god now let me stop there just a minute just give that word of explanation the king of tyrus is emblematic of satan it's just a, another way of putting this. Uh, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, 
Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. So what God did was to deck Lucifer out in the finest regalia. Now it says there that he was in Eden, the garden of God. Now that is not a reference to the Garden of Eden as we think of it, uh, the one here on earth where God put Adam and Eve. But here, the Garden of Eden actually refers to heaven, to the paradise of heaven. And so Lucifer walked or he flew or he vaporized, whatever it is that angels do, and he just strutted his stuff all over heaven as the finest of the finest. And that's what Lucifer was like. Now, one of the things that we don't know is how long ago that was. And perhaps... Uh, Maybe we can't even think of it in terms of time because many believe that angels were created prior to the first day of creation or maybe early in that first day. And it seems to me that if they'd already been created at the same time that man was created, that there wouldn't have been time to do all of these things that, that took place. So I think angels were probably created prior to time. So that's the beauty of Lucifer. That's his his array, his appearance. That's the regalia of Lucifer. And he was the finest of all of God's creatures. Now, next then we see is the rebellion of Satan. Now, he had great acclaim. He was the finest and he knew it. He knew it. And so he wasn't content to, to be second fiddle to anyone. So we want to consider then first his arrogance, uh, the rebellion of Satan, his, his arrogance. Now, when God created angels... He created them with the ability to serve God or to turn against him. Now, if you, if you want to talk about free will, this is the real ultimate free will. Because here you have this beautiful, glorious creature, and he had the choice that he could follow God or he could turn against God. Now, if you've been in our Sunday morning forum class for some time, you may have heard these terms. But in Latin, those are the terms passe picare, which means able to sin, and he was also created passe non picari, and that means able not to sin. So actually, Lucifer could have gone either way. He could choose to, to serve God, or he could choose to go against God. Now, I'm not going to get into the decrees of God, because that would lead us off in a different direction and a, a place that would really bog us down. But I do want to say this, that there is no man who has a totally free, unencumbered will. We are now passe picare, able to sin. That's what the angels were. But we are also non passe non picare, which means that we are unable not to sin. So we can't keep from sinning. And that means that it's impossible for a person to freely choose Christ without uh, first having a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in his heart. We can't turn from sin and choose Christ without God opening our heart first. Now, you hear it all the time. Uh, People will say, well, open up your heart and let Jesus in. Well, if Jesus is coming in, he's already opened up the door. He's already opened up your heart because you were sitting there behind the door dead and you couldn't get up to answer it. And so Jesus had to, uh, God had to speak to your heart first and open the door and then he comes in. So Lucifer then could choose against God and that's what he did. Pride entered into his heart, and and there was a sin in his heart, and he determined that he would become like God. 
Here's what Isaiah writes. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I think that when... Lucifer said that I will put my throne above the stars of God. What he meant was that he wanted to be above all of the angels. That he would take his place as God, as ruler of all of the angels. Now we're going to see in just a moment that he was marginally successful in doing that. But he was prideful. And his pride was an expression of his desire to defy God's will. And that's exactly what sin is. That's when the creature decides to do his own will instead of doing God's will. Now, I think an interesting sidelight to all of this and what happened is what is it that caused Lucifer to make such a momentous decision? Why did he want to choose against God? Well, there are some who believe that it was actually the creation of man, that it was because of the creation of man. Now, angels, of course, are created differently from man. In fact, every angel is a unique creation, individually created, Whereas, we know each of us, we came from Adam. We have a a line, a chain, uh, so to speak, of father to father, father to son, father to son, and all the way back to the time of Adam. But angels weren't created that way. And angels were never intended to be the focal point of God's creation. But when God created man, that's exactly what he did. He made man the center of his creation. And really, I think that's what causes a a lot of pride in people. Uh, uh, So much of our religion today is man-centered because we realize that God has made us the center of this creation, but we've decided we want to be the center of it all. And so we want to be the center of the entire universe, the center of all the worlds that there are out there. And so really, a man-centered theology, whether it begins with Robert Schuller or whether it's with anyone else, that's really nothing more than refusing to relinquish total control to God. Now, we may think that we're in control, and we've always thought that, but we're not. And so in salvation, you find some pretty good people. Even among Baptists, you'll find some people that are just totally mixed up about this, and they just get militantly opposed to doctrines like election and predestination and total inability and effectual calling, particular redemption, perseverance. They hate all of that. Because what it does, it takes the whole thing out of the hands of man. It takes salvation in every detail out of man's hands and puts it in the hands of God. And so I don't know what's wrong with people, why they don't like those doctrines, other, other than maybe they've got a little twist of Lucifer in their Kool-Aid or something, and, and that's what you know, turns them all screwy. Uh, so some people believe, as man was made the center of creation... That God focused on man rather than giving all of his attention to the angels. And particularly, he didn't give all of his attention to Lucifer. Now, I want you to notice what the Word of God says about angels. In Hebrews 1.14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Now, there, that's a scripture that strikes a blow right at the heart of Lucifer. Right at the pride of Lucifer. Angels were created to be ministering spirits. Now, do you understand what the word minister means? A lot of people don't. A lot of preachers don't understand what minister means. They think that minister means dictator. It means uh, lord of my little kingdom. That's what the church is. The lord, I'm just the lord of the kingdom. But minister is actually a word that means servant. 
It's a word that means a waiter. It, it means an attendant. Somebody waits on somebody else. And so if I'm the minister of the church, that doesn't mean that I'm Lord over the church. It means that I'm a servant of the people. I'm here to serve you. And so when God set this whole thing up, he created man and he directed that the angels are supposed to serve man. So what do you think that would do to Lucifer's heart of pride? Well, I think God must have let the angels know what was coming. And when Lucifer found out that he was going to have to serve man, what God had created out of the dust of the earth, he would have to serve man, and there was just no way that he was going to stand for that. And we notice in this just how far different that the character of Lucifer is from that of Christ. Christ, who is infinitely higher than Lucifer, Christ, who is the creator of all, Christ, who formed the creature, uh, the creature rather, uh, Christ, who's glorious, who's unparalleled, who's indescribably magnificent, Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, stepped down from his throne. And he became not just a man, not just one born of this dust that we're made out of, but Jesus also became a servant. He became a minister to man. So how far different is the character of Christ than that of Lucifer? So Lucifer, in his arrogance, could not stand that. He wouldn't stand for it. And so what do we see next? Well, he goes into action. He was lifted up with pride, and then he went into action. And so he began Star Wars. Now, we find that in verse number 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Verse number 4 is a reference to the original fall from Satan. Uh, from heaven, rather, of Satan from heaven. And we know that it's not a future event because we can look here and we see the Scripture says that Satan was there when Christ was ready to be delivered. That's what we talked about the last couple of weeks. So we know it's not a past or a future event. This is something that happened in the past. So verse 4 is referring to the original fall of Satan. Now, I think that this all took place before the creation of man. And what Satan did was he took one-third of all the angels, all of God's created angels, and he brought them out in rebellion against God. Now, I don't know how many angels that is. Uh, how many is one-third of all the angels? I don't know. Now, there was, I think it was back in Revelation chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 9, there were 200 million angels, if you remember, 200 million demons that were unleashed upon the earth, and they killed one-third of, of the men that are on the earth. So 200 million is probably just a small fraction of all those evil angels that there are. So they're scattered out from one end of the universe to the other. And they are those stars of God. They're fallen angels, and they followed Satan in his rebellion. Now we notice here that it says that they were cast to the earth. I'm going to spend some time with that when we get into part number two. But what that actually means is that they lost their place in heaven. But what it doesn't mean is that they no longer have access to heaven. Now, we don't want to get confused about that and think that evil angels are now in hell because all of the evil angels aren't there and uh, not all of them are just here on the earth and they can't get into heaven. Now, we'll talk more about that next time. So Lucifer's action then was to take an innumerable multitude of angels with him. And that rebellion was the commencement of Star Wars. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. 
And so that's a reference to the angels that originally joined in the rebellion. Now, as we get a little bit further down in the chapter, we're not going to be talking about the past. We're going to talk about the future because there is another part of this war that takes place. And really, the, the reasons for that, I mean, the, figuring out the reasons why that war takes place and the particular time that it takes place is really a fascinating study. Now, we're going to look at one more part of the rebellion of, in, in this Star Wars before we close tonight. And thirdly is his new appearance. Now, we looked at the old appearance, uh, but now let's look at the new appearance. Now, before, it was beauty, the covering of precious stones. There was radiance in his appearance. He was the morning star. But look at the change. Verse number 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. So now the Bible gives him a description as being the great red dragon. Now, of course, we're speaking metaphorically here, but this is talking about the vicious nature of Satan. Satan is a friend of no one. He's so prideful that what he does, he uses every person, he uses everything as a stepping stone to climb over and try to bring down God. And it makes you wonder. You you hear people talking about making a pact with the devil. Why would anybody want to do that? Nobody ever won anything with the devil. He's a loser from the beginning. So he's a great red dragon. That's how the scriptures describe him. And he's a vicious creature. Now, we, we, we tend to think that dragons are a part of folklore. I mean, you hear about a fire-breathing dragon. Well, that can't possibly be true. Well, we actually do see it. That was back in chapter 9. And I'll read it to you again. Revelation nine seventeen. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and then that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of their horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. Now when you look at that, there's not a whole lot of beauty in it. Uh, Satan has that kind of character. The red reminds us of bloodshed. And as we've studied this, how many people have we seen that were killed in the tribulation time? And looking back at all the wars and the history of the world, who's behind all of that? Well, that was Satan. Who is behind the Roman Catholic Church when they had the Inquisition and they killed millions upon millions of Baptist people? That was Satan. And so he has this kind of character. So red is a very good color for him, blood red. Then the, the Bible also says that he has seven heads. Now again, metaphorically speaking, and those heads speak of the wisdom of the dragon. And remember what we read there in the scriptures a moment ago, that it said that Lucifer was full of wisdom. Seven is a number of completion, and so that means that, that Satan has mu- just all kinds of wisdom. He, he's so smart. I mean, he's smarter than any of us. He's tricky. He's deceitful. And even if Satan wasn't more powerful than us, we could never overcome him because he's too smart for us. He knows how to get around anything that we could put up against him. So we needn't try to overcome the devil in our own power and strength. It's totally impossible, not with our own wisdom. It'll never be done. His strength is seen in the fact that he has horns. Now, the horns stand for power, and ten horns stands for complete power. Ten is a number when you talk about the completeness of man. And so what that means is that Satan has complete control over man. Now, right there is enough. If we just look at that, there's enough right there to see the total inability of man to come to Christ. 
Because if it weren't for our own inherent depravity that keeps us from coming to Christ, we have Satan. Satan has complete power over us. And so he would prevent that. So what Christ has to do when he saves a person, he has to overcome the sinfulness of our heart, and he also has to bind up Satan. He has to hold him back because he prevents us from being saved. Now, what do you think the devil is doing when the gospel is preached? He's not whittling on the back porch. He's out there trying to prevent it. He's trying to stop souls from being saved. And so Christ has to just grab hold of him and hold on to him to keep us, I mean, to keep him from, from affecting our salvation. So that ten horns of power says that he has complete power against man. And then he has seven crowns. And those crowns speak of imperial power. That means that he controls the kingdoms of the world. And didn't we see that? We studied that already. There is no kingdom in all the world. No place, no nation upon the earth that is not under the power of Satan. And when it comes time for the Antichrist to come to power, what he will do is consolidate all the divided kingdoms of the world into one great kingdom, and that kingdom will put all of its force, all of its power against the people of God to try to persecute God's people. And then if you'll look at verse number 9, one more time here, there's no doubt about who this is. There are five descriptions that are given of him. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So he's the dragon. That's one description. We've just discussed it. He's the old serpent. That takes us back to the Garden of Eden and, and all the subtlety by which he deceived Adam and Eve. He's the devil. That's another name for him. And that word, devil, actually means slanderer. He's the accuser of God's people. He's Satan. And I've already mentioned that means adversary. And then finally, the fifth description in that verse is one who deceives the whole world. Now, there's an amazing characteristic of Satan, though. And among all these others, I should say, Second uh, Corinthians 11, verse, chapter 11, verse 14, says that Satan has such deception that he's able to transform himself into an angel of light. So Satan is really a wolf in sheep's clothing. He can come to you and he can look like something that's wonderful, something that's just the best that you've ever seen. He can entice you in so many ways. The Word of God says he appears as an angel of light. So here is Satan then, who was a beautiful star, but now he's a big black hole. And what he does, he sucks in everything that gets close to him. So this is the war that's coming. I mean, he is a, an incredible foe. And Star Wars is going to be a, a battle that we are just not able to imagine. An incredible war that's going to take place. Well, thank the Lord for this. There's somebody bigger. There's somebody who's more powerful. And he's just waiting He's not cold and calculating like Satan is. And then he's calm and reserved. He's waiting to play out his hand just as he all along intended to do. And so when the time is right, he's going to scatter all of those stars against the great canvas of the universe. And God's going to wipe the entire thing clean. Jesus Christ is going to overcome Satan finally. And then that's going to be the victory. Now, I hope that you're on the right side. I hope all of you are on the right side. As I said, you don't need lightsabers, you don't need photon bombs, you don't need anything like that. You just need one thing, is an offensive weapon against Satan, 
Well, first of all, you have to know Jesus Christ. Without him, you can't do anything. But the one offensive weapon that you use against Satan is what? Who knows? The Word. The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. That's what you use to conquer Satan. And whenever you wield that in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when you become the victor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the short time we've been able to spend together tonight. And Lord, as we get into this... uh, message about Star Wars and think about that. These are things that are incredible beyond our comprehension. But we do thank you, Lord, that you are in control of it all, that there is evil in this world, but you have determined that you will overcome it all, that you will save your people, that you will change us, that we'll leave the vile body behind for a time and we'll be made like you. And then when you raise our bodies at the second coming, it will be a body that's glorious and made just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the knowledge of salvation. And I pray, Lord, you might speak to someone's heart about that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.